Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. We're continuing a conversation with Bill Russell. He's a former professor at Graceland University and Community of Christ Historian. We're going to talk about uh, RLDS views of the apostasy. And we'll talk also about the breakup of the RLDS church. You know, they've had a lot of schisms there. Uh, a lot of the fundamentalists left uh, over the ordination of women. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll also talk about uh, Jeff Lundgren. You know, Under the Banner of Heaven has been a big thing lately. Um, the RLDS version uh, is Jeff Lundgren. So a lot of you probably haven't heard that story. Bill is actually on the defense team and is well acquainted with that. So we'll also talk about uh, his interactions with Mark Hoffman. And so you definitely will not want to miss this conversation. Check it out. And they, they, but, but they, they also disagreed with so many other things, the theological things that had happened in the church. And so it was very understandable that they, they would be opposed, not just to women and the priesthood, but just opposed to, they'd say, well, the church leaders don't seem to value the Book of Mormon like they used to. And, uh, you know, they just, they don't... Uh, they don't value the ideas of of, uh, of restoration, rest, restoration, and, and uh, well, the, this whole idea, this whole idea, this whole history of uh, <coughs> we, we've got uh, um, there was a, there was a, a, a an apostasy about about seven fifty. That's a that's a crazy crazy date to use for the apostasy. Why not? You know, if you're going to say there's an apostasy, why not, why not, why not Constantine in, in 320 and 338 or whatever that was? Uh, and so um, the reason that we come down with, with, with uh, 570 is uh, that we had two prominent leaders in the church back in the 1920s who said that... Uh, um, that there was around 520, there was things happening in the in the Catholic Church that were signs of apostasy. I can't, I can never really remember them because they don't make any sense. <laughs> but, but uh, so then uh, that's why in 570, the apostasy begins. And the apostasy ends. Oh, in 1220, in 12, uh, I mean in in, in uh, 1820. Amazing. When Joseph they're very good at, they, they may not have very good the, historical arguments, but they're real good at subtraction, <laughs> you know, <laughs> underneath, <laughs> subtracting uh, <laughs> one, one, one number from another, and they come out with <laughs> the number they're looking for. So, yeah, they've never been able to give, these, these two guys never gave any kind of, uh, of, of real rational argument for why 750. Roy Cheville, uh, has, he was the first guy with a Ph.D. in religion and in the church, and he taught at Graceland from, 19, from the 20s to, to 1958 when he became the presiding patriarch. And I was in his classes. I, I was in those last classes that he taught. And so I kind of know the late Cheville anyway. But, uh, but anyway, he, he, uh, he published this book around, 18, around 1962 two or so after he'd been a presiding patriarch for three or four or five years and uh, he says uh, well some people say 
that that you know 580 570 i mean uh, something happened but but no he said uh that there was always there was always there was always of vibrance in something word some word like that there was always vibrance in the church there was never a time when god would have just disowned the church because there was great theologians and 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 and, and uh uh, popes and bishops and 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 uh, oh, uh, people of, uh, of uh, people of, of great great character. There was people of great character in every generation. Uh, just there's some. Uh, I, th- I think when you if you read uh, uh, Latterette's history of Christianity, you know you just see that it just kind of goes up and down, kind of like the. The, the uh, apostle, kind of like in the, New, in the Old Testament, the the um, judges. There's the good judges, and then there's bad judges, and then there's good judges. And and the Book of Mormon is kind of on that on that theme, and that 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 of that character too. So anyway, um, Seville decided there was time to try to get people to think in other terms. In 580, there was this big big. Uh, <clears throat> this big apostasy, and and uh, so the result as as so the result is as I see it, and uh, the problem with our traditional teachings is you've got this apostasy whenever you whenever you whenever you wanted to start you know three twenty or whenever, uh, and it's got there's here's these these fifteen generations or fifteen dec- uh, centuries or so when we don't even we don't even study. Those centuries, there's, there's, there, that's a great part of his Christian history, and so now in the community of Christ, we've got I like our theo, our theologian in residence is uh, is uh, T- Tony Savala Smith. You you might meet him because he comes up and and teaches uh, a couple of courses every semester. Uh, well, he's he's got his Ph.D. in biblical studies in Milwaukee. I mean I mean at uh, the, the university in in Milwaukee, what is it called? I can't think of it right now. Um, and he's got a master of divinity as well, and so he's he's really well educated in, in the Middle Ages, and you know that's that's the big that's the big hole in in our in the RLDS and the LDS traditional teachings as I see it. Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't realize the apostasy was also a big deal. The RLDS Church. This mm-hmm. is, it sounds like very similar with the LDS Church. Yeah, yeah. So if you went to a Restoration Branch today, you'd probably get this kind of uh, apostasy. It's five, but it'd be but it'd be five seventy probably, and nothing happened worth 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 remembering <laughs> in that in that period. So I know I've heard you say before. Um, I don't remember where this was. It was their MHA or Sunstone probably that when the conservative uh, people left that it in a way it was kind of a good thing because you guys mm-hmm. stayed kind of had the church and it was good wanted. for them too yeah I mean I, I, I've, said, I've, I've said that that, that uh, you know here's, here's a group of people that uh, want, want women to be ordained and want a lot of changes to be made and and so the changes you know, was really good for them. I mean, they were really pleased with it. And, but then on the other hand, there's these other people like the the Remnant Church and so forth, uh, who really were hampered by the, the leadership of the church, you know, putting them down and and not letting them do have the kind of worship experiences and so forth that they wanted to have. So 
and you can say, I mean, I, I, I have some reservations about saying this because they'll tell you, yeah, but we didn't, we didn't want this to happen. You know, we wanted the church to continue to be the, the church that it was supposed to be. Uh, but anyway, so they, they got, so this, oh yeah, the, not only that, they, they have a, a church with their, what they think of as the correct doctrines and so forth. But another important factor is they don't have to pay tithing anymore to independence. So they, uh, I, mean, I mean, they have their own, their own giving of financial resources, but that goes entirely to their local congregation. And they don't have to give, you know, 10% or whatever to, to independence, 10% of their, of, their, of their resources, of their own resources in independence. So uh, that's, that's a real benefit for them. So, uh, but I think what happens is, uh, see, I've, I've, I've spent about, I've gone to about 40 restoration branches at least. And, and usually I've gone Sunday morning, but sometimes I go, sometimes I go Sunday night or, or Wednesday night too. And uh, so this gives me some you know, a decent idea, at least what this particular church is doing. And the thing is, the thing that I notice is that uh, they spend a lot more time on the on the Old Testament and the Book of Mormon than we ever did before, while the church was conservative. You know, I mean, they, they said the church hasn't paid, paid, paid enough attention to the Old Testament and the Book of Mormon, so we'll make sure. And I hardly ever have heard. The New Testament referred to in in my me meetings with them. It's almost always a Sunday school class on. on I remember one time. You're talking about the Restoration branches. Yeah, and the Restoration branches. Yeah, like I, I remember a, a, a former friend. I mean, an old old friend of mine who I think I had in class. I also knew that he had been in Kirtland uh, with Jeff Lundgren, and he, and the year that he was in Kirtland, the summer he was in Kirtland. He was the only one that didn't join Jeff, Jeff Lundgren's suicidal pact, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, so I have had a lot of high regard for him in that respect. And so he was listed as a speaker at the restoration branch closest to Lamoni, about six, eight miles away. So I went to it, and it was just, it was just the most, most dead sermon about some Old Testament figure that I hardly heard anything about, and I knew very little bit about, and and there wasn't really much that that I felt anybody really needed to know, <laughs> you know, about that Old Testament figure. And I thought, if you're in a, a leader in the Restoration branches, why don't you talk about the Book of Mormon or the New Testament as well as as the Old Testament? And I, it's like Jeff Lundgren himself. You never heard about the. You never heard about the uh, New Testament from Jeff Lundgren except two things. <clears throat> the wages of sin or death, Apostle Paul, and um, what's the other one? Uh, there's another one that's equally bad. <laughs> and, Is it the uh, better that one man should die? Well, that's, 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 that's uh, from the Book of Mormon, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's another, oh, I know, Ephesians. Uh, uh, women should keep silent in the churches. I think that's the one. Although that might be another one from, from Paul. But uh, any, anyway, there's a really bad one from Ephesians chapter five. I think it's chapter five that's picked up in picked up in Colossians as well, because Colossians and Ephesians are closely closely connected with each other. But anyway, yeah, uh, that's that's all I ever heard from <laughs> Jeff Lundgren, and, and yet he 
he taught class after I I, I uh, had had fifty tapes of his classes. I listened to every one of them. I would listen to him on the on the radio in the car as I was going out to out to uh, Kirtland uh, to visit people because otherwise I never would listen to him. <laughs> if I had been a, a member of the Kirtland congregation, I wouldn't have gone to more than one of his classes. <laughs> In fact, the bishop's wife was a person that he just couldn't stand. And one day the bishop's wife, hard, she hardly ever came to his class, but one day he came, she came to his class, Isabel Fisher is her name, and and, and on the tape, Jeff says, uh, well, uh, I kind of, I, I just don't feel a good spirit today. I don't feel the Holy Spirit or don't, don't feel the right spirit. So I think we might as well just, just, just call off the class. And so he, the class was dismissed after two, minute, two minutes or something like that because Isabel Fisher was in the class. <laughs> the bishop, bishop's wife who he just did not like at all. Well, at all. so I know a lot of people don't know who Jeff Lundgren is. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, by the time this airs, there's the a, a new TV series out on the Lafferty's, yeah, and yeah. That, the murder that happened in American Fort yeah, Utah, yeah, um, uh, under the banner of Heaven, John Krakow wrote. I want to hear that. I mean, I want, I want to see those. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so most of my audience are probably similarly familiar with the Lafferty brothers, with the, the double murder that mm -hmm. happened there, um, but very few of them are going to. Be familiar with uh, Jeff Lundgren, yeah. and, but it's kind of a similar oh, yeah. story. Yeah, and um, I know I've heard you speak. I believe it was a Sunstone presentation. Uh -huh. Somehow I got a recording of it mm -hmm. from it's probably decades ago, yeah. where you talked about the Book of Mormon. And I know my LDS audience is going to be very surprised to hear your take on the story of Laban, yeah. Nephi mm -hmm. and Laban. Yeah. So I'd love to have you tell that story yeah. and how you tie it into to Jeff Lundgren. So, yeah, I was. Uh, I'll, I'll introduce it by telling about my ten-year-old daughter. She says, "Dad, I, I want to read. I'd like to read that Book of Mormon thing." You know, okay. So I dig dig one out and give it to her, and oh, just a few days later, I think it was, uh, she gives it back to me. I said, "Well, you didn't finish it, did you?" No, no, I got to page. She mentioned whatever page it was that the story of the killing of Laban was was in. I got to page twelve, and that was enough. <laughs> I don't want. I don't. I don't want to read anymore. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so anyway, that. But that's 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 what I think is that uh, the story of Laban is a terrible story. Uh, it should never have been in the book of scripture. It should. I mean. I mean. I realize. There's going to be things in book of script in scriptures that there's a lot of things in scripture that are that are terrible, you know. We should we should realize. I think we have a we have a, a moral obligation to teach our children the things that are good from the scripture and tradition in the tradition of the church, and we also have a moral obligation to to, to teach to teach them that there are certain things that are really bad that we should avoid, and that's one of them. And so. Uh, and so then that, that relates to the, to the, to the uh, Lundgren case because here, here was a guy who was just throwing scriptures at, at, at his followers all the time, but they were Book of Mormon scriptures like repent or be destroyed. That's really a nice scripture. And, and, uh, and, and things like that, which should never, we should never 
give any credence to to those kinds of scriptures. And uh, so anyway, uh, I, I just think that under Jeff, these people were, were they, I mean, Jeff Lundgren is probably the only guy in that group, well, there's one other one, I guess, that I'd be uncomfortable having him as our next door, my next door neighbor. I mean, they were, these were good people, but they were, they were taught terrible things as if they were the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are demonic things. <laughs> and uh, so it's just, we've got, to, we've got to learn that everything in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, isn't something we should, be, we should obey. There are some things that we should say, that's terrible. The story of Laban being killed, that, that was unnecessary. He didn't have to kill him, you know? And so I, I gave a sermon. So you reject the idea that it's better for one man to perish than a whole nation to dwindle in unbelief. No, yeah, I reject that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and yeah, absolutely. And so tell us why that's a terrible <laughs> Well, uh, because if, if it's a, uh, you know, the person uh, who, who's being killed because he it was better that a, that a, that one man should perish than the whole whole, whole nation should dwindle in unbelief. Uh, I, well, first of all, I just think we don't have we don't have the basis for making that judgment, and and, uh, uh, and so I, I consider that I consider that a very bad <laughs> passage of scripture as well, uh, because uh, you know that, that 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 just that just makes it. Uh, that just gives us an excuse to kill people, and that just doesn't sit well with me. And uh, so, yeah, that 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 comes right th that 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 comes right there with with uh, the story of of Laban, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you said you even said it, you compared it to justification for holy war. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably did. Yeah, that sounds yeah. all right to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so how did Jeff use that scripture to mm. the detriment of his neighbors? Well, uh, he decided that uh, there was uh, uh, a group of people within his cult that uh, weren't that that weren't uh, living according to the the, the gospel, uh, and and they uh, and so they and, and unless they can become uh, unless they can, unless they can uh, be, uh, be forgiven of all their sins, unless they can, uh, then, then if you can't be forgiven of all your sins, then, then you need to be killed. Because we'll never, we'll never receive, we'll never have a chance to meet Christ. Christ is all, he's, he's up there ready to come down if there's ever a group that's 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 fully uh, taught according to the full gospel and and uh, ha has repented of all their sins, then Jesus will say, "Wow, Jeff Lundgren's group has got it all together. I'm coming down there <laughs> and joining them." And uh, when he was in prison, uh, and I've seen him write this stuff because he killed a family of five. He killed, he killed a family of five that he decided. They are never going to be, be be fully repentant, repented, and uh, it's no accident that it was a father and then a a, a a mother who was kind of the 
kind of wore the pants of the family. Uh, the mother really kind of, kind of was the, the boss of the family. That's terrible for that to be. Look at look at the Ephesians chapter two, you know, and and, uh, and then there's three daughters, and those daughters they were they were 15, 13, and, and six, but those three daughters are going to grow up to be just like their mother, and so so they are they are hopeless to better for one family to perish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just might as well kill them all. And he, he considered killing other five others, but he finally decided that they have, they have a chance of, of they still have a chance. Because he had a hit list of sorts, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, were they prominent RLDS members? Or? They were all RLDS members who joined his cult. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff. Lundgren. So this was like a breakaway, or was this still part of RLDS? Oh, they. Oh, they. Yeah, definite breakaway. They. They. They would never step inside the RLDS church. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, Jeff attended the RLDS church in Kirtland until it came, came a point when uh, they, weren't, they weren't accepting him anymore. And so he just broke. And so most of the people that were his disciples had come to Kirtland after Jeff had kind of withdrawn from the church. Jeff was, uh, Dale Luffin, I don't know if you ever met Dale Luffin. He was a good friend of mine. Unfortunately, he died about a year ago. But uh, he uh, he was a, 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 an apostle until he was re, re, until he was uh, retired as an apostle, and then about two years later he died. But anyway, he was a stake president in Kirtland, and he um, <coughs> not not silenced. Yeah, yeah. I guess the first step would be he silenced Jeff from the priesthood, and then he see he saw that Jeff. No way. Then he be, then he began to find out that Jeff wanted. To, he found I found out that Jeff wanted to kill him, and he kind of Jeff and Dale Luffin kind of thought that was going overboard, <laughs> and so, and so that's when he decided to have him kicked out of the church. And Dale Luffman wrote a letter to Independence, and he said, "I know <clears throat> that uh, you're not supposed to remove anybody's membership unless they they sign themselves, but I think you I think you should make an exception in this case." Because Jeff has written a letter to the to, to, to Independence, resigning church membership for all all the members of his cult, and 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 Dale Luffin said, "Go ahead and grant grant that <laughs> request, even though that's not according to church law." And so uh, Dale, but anyway, Dale Luffin uh, expelled him from there. What's the word? Anyway, he, he kicked him out of the church. Excommunicate. Ex, yeah, yeah, that that's uh, we don't use that in the same way. Use that term. Okay. But uh, but that's that's what what LDS would see. But uh, I can't th- think of a word we use for that. But anyway, we we kicked him out of the church, <laughs> and and just left let the others kind of hang there because they hadn't hadn't now, really. Approximately what year were these murders? The murders were in 1980, 80, I mean, 1989, yeah. Okay. Uh, April of 89, yeah. So I was surprised to hear, we were talking a little uh-huh. bit off camera, uh-huh. that you actually testified on yeah. Jeff yeah. Lundgren's behalf. Yes, Jeff Lundgren's behalf. behalf, yeah. Tell us that story. Yeah, in fact, okay, so uh, uh, the, the, the uh, Ohio Public Defender's Office in, 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 in Columbus uh, was assigned to defend Jeff, <clears throat> and so two of their they had two two uh, I think it was as sociologists or or social workers, 
they both came to uh, independent. I mean, I mean, came to this area of the country where a lot of you know, our oldest members are at, and uh, they 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 talked to a lot of people who knew Jeff, like his high school teachers, his high school coach, uh, his pastor, uh, Dick Hughes, who's 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 who's. Uh, funeral I went to today was the RLDS church uh, minister to the, to the Kirtland, I mean uh, to the uh, uh, church members that were students at, uh, at, at Warrensburg, Central Missouri State University. And, and so they interviewed Dick, Dick Hughes, was, was interviewed on that too. Dick told about uh, going, going with Jeff to a uh, to practice for the he, he told he told everybody that he been given a uh, a, a scholarship the baseball scholarship to go to to, to uh, central Missouri but it turns out he had no scholarship and he just he just went out to the practice to be a walk-on and dick said says that after the, after the practice he wasn't very happy he knew he hadn't done very well and so he, he didn't make the team I wrote to I wrote to to Warrensburg baseball people later, you know, when this thing happened, and did you have any record of Jeff Lundgren ever being on, on your team or anything like that? And they wrote back and said, no, he's really, his name does not appear anywhere, anywhere at all in any of our baseball statistics and so forth. But anyway, he, he was telling people he, he, he had done it. So anyway, they interviewed Dick and so forth. But anyway, they had two people that, that mentioned me and, and, uh, Jeff's uncle lived down Harvard Gadbury lived down the street from me, and he knew I was working on this. Uh, he knew I was writing on the schism in the church, not necessarily the Lundgren case. And then they talked to Kerry, uh, my LDS guy that lives near Kirtland, Kerry Norman. I mean, uh, no, that's his wife's name. Uh, anyway, Keith Keith Norman, I think his name is, and I've. I've I, <laughs> Even I couldn't remember his name. I, I know him pretty well. <laughs> I, I've spent some time in his house and so forth. Uh, but anyway, because I, got, I, I was recommended by both an RLDS and an LDS person, they, they contacted me. I got a call from Linda Pudvin, uh, who was kind of head, of head of the operation as far as gathering information. And so I said, sure, I'd be happy to, to be a, be a, help out on the defense. And uh, if uh, the two old, the two lawyers want me, yeah, I'll be be happy to do so. And so, my mother, oh, my mother, said, oh, she just, you know, Jeff Lundgren represented the worst thing that ever could happen in the church. And then, and then, and then, of course, the president of Graceland, she said she wanted to no, know just so she could answer questions if anybody. And I think she might have understood that, that yeah, that that uh, Jeff has a right to legal defense of his own choice. Otherwise, our system would not work. You know, there's there's so many people that would never get a lawyer to to, to defend them if uh, the lawyer could just say, oh, "No, I don't, I don't want to." <laughs> if, if if you didn't have the right to subpoena, uh, but I didn't ask for a subpoena because I didn't need one. I'd, I'd be happy to go. Uh, so anyway, I went and, and uh, um, first I went out there and uh, spent a day talking to the staff. There were twelve. 12 so-called experts that were on his defense, uh, I knew of which I was one. And uh, so I went out there. So the first, so the, I spent a day 
with uh, one of the lawyers talking with Jeff, and then and then a second day later talking with Jeff, and they were those those were interesting. I mean, Jeff Jeff had studied the scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, so much that uh, I mean, I just had a good conversation with him, and uh, and then but then Chuck Greeshammer, one of the attorneys, he he sat in on the discussion too because they were trying to figure out we know. We know uh, we we don't know much at all about the the Utah Mormons, and we don't know anything about you guys, <laughs> you know. So we really really like to fi- get all this figured out. So then, uh, so I, so I so so Chuck then got a, a sense of what where the RLDS Church was at, and then uh, and then I also uh, I testified at the trial, and at both and then I testified at two trials because Ron Luff, the second most culpable guy who is a wonderful a wonderful guy uh he's doing 150 years so he's not going to get out i suppose but i mean he is the nicest one of the nicest guys i've ever known i mean i'd be delighted to have him live next door um but anyway uh so i, I testified secondly in his trial and it was such a different case in in jeff's case he uh, i was the only person he paid any attention to because i was talking about religion and all the other stuff, you know, he, he, he sat there reading the Book of Mormon during his trial. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Except when I testified, and then he, he, was, he listened to what I had to say. Laughed when, he, when I cracked jokes and, and so forth. I, told, I said to Linda before I went out, I said, it's probably not a good idea for me to use any levity uh, in a situation like this. Says, oh, no, she says, it's good to have somebody introduce a uh, crack a joke or introduce some kind of levity because it's it's, it's such a such a it's attention attention is so great in in, in the in the courtroom. So I, I had a number of very very good jokes. I mean, you know, that seemed to be good jokes because everybody laughed, including the judge and and Jeff and the. And prosecuting attorney and the you know, defense attorney and so forth and the people in the audience. So uh, one, I guess uh, the one the one that I remember was uh, he said, "Well now, Chuck, Chuck Reesheimer said, well now, uh, now you RLDS, uh, are you supposed to have these revelations at a certain time of day or night?" I I had talked to him to Chuck about this, and I thought I'd long ago disabused of him of any idea that you <laughs> you had these revelations like at 5 a.m. or something like that. And I said, "Oh no!" I said, "We're open. We're open to revelations any time of day or night." <laughs> and and that's, that's the one that everybody laughed at. <laughs> but I mean, I, I I I told him time and again, yeah. I mean, there's no time. Set, set, you know, that, and maybe, I don't know, I could see in our church, sometimes a guy like Frank Huff, our president at Graceland, he would say, uh, well, actually, actually, W. Wallace Smith sometimes would say, I was awakened at 3 a.m. and had this revelation. So, yeah, there was a, your person could pick up on something like that and decide, oh, I guess you're supposed to have your revelations at 3 o'clock in the morning, because Wallace sometimes would mention he was awakened at a certain time and and had the had the revelation. <laughs> but, yeah, his his revelations weren't very good, but I mean they were they were they were just so routine. Yeah, Grant and and the two non-Smiths have really 
had the best revelations in terms of being just a really good pastoral statements that can be very useful in the, in the worship life of the church. Now, uh, Wallace B. Smith, the one with a, law de a medical degree, I mean, he had some pretty decent ones. But Grant and, 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 and Steve, I think, have had the really good ones. <laughs> good revelations. Good revelations, yeah. <laughs> what are your favorites under McMurray and uh, Vizi? Oh, I, I don't have a favorite particularly, but I just, I just, uh, I, I know Grant's first one. Um, I have a good friend who's a Methodist minister. He, he raised in our church, but he went to St. Didn't go to St. Paul, but he went to a Methodist seminary somewhere, somewhere, and ended up in a Methodist minister. And he and he was kind of negative toward our church. He'd been raised in it and then left. But then he said, when when uh, I read Grant McMurray, and he knew Grant, and was you know some of his criticism of the church was directed toward Grant, I guess, I think. But anyway, he said, uh, when when I read Grant's revelation, it's a really good pastoral statement, and as a as a minister himself, a Methodist minister, he felt that that would be a statement that would be very useful to a minister in what he, you know, in whatever church. And, I, and so then I read it and I, I said, yeah, I think Grant has really put something forward here that's a, that, that could be of great use for the church. But I don't have a favorite one. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, I just think Grant's a good writer and Steve's a good writer. <laughs> Maybe that's the point. <laughs> you write something you know, really clear and, and really useful as a, as a minister in, in the church, if, I mean, reading it and, and looking for a chance to make some use of it. <clears throat> well, cool. Well, I think the last thing I want to finish up on, um, we talked a little bit about this on the phone. Uh-huh. Um, was I had asked you if you had any interactions with Mark Hoffman. And you, you told me you had one. So can you tell us that story? Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, I had to think of it. Did it? Yeah, yeah. In 1982, at the Mormon History Association meeting in, in Ogden, Utah, uh, see, we did not know yet that Mark had forged all these, all these, all these revelations and stuff. And uh, at that time, the big story was Mark's Finding uh, Joseph the, the Joseph Joseph Smith, I mean yeah, Joseph Smith Jr. Designating Joseph the third as the as the one to succeed him, and so we had a we had a had a panel. We had we had Mark, who spoke first and told us how he found the thing, you know, and then uh, and then we had a Mormon historian. I can't remember who it was. And then we had Alma Blair, our oldest guy, taught, teaches at Graceland, did then, retired now. And then he had another Mormon guy, I'm forgetting who that was. And then, and then I was the last speaker, the fifth speaker. And Paul Edwards was chairing the session. I don't know if you know Paul, but he, Paul is, is uh, a touch, teaches history and philosophy at Graceland, and he's really, he's really popular. I mean, he's, he's funny. And you know, it's hard to, hard to describe him, but anyway, uh, but he is he is well liked by well liked he well liked by both the LDS and the LDS people at Sunstone, and John and John Whitmer and Mormon history and so forth. So anyway, uh, when it got down to me, well, first of all, Mark spoke, and, and I thought, yeah, 
unfortunately, now that you have found, found apparently this this document, there's just going to be there's going to be more emphasis in the earliest church on the idea of Wallace B. Smith should come up with, should come up with a Smith somehow. Yeah, because it definitely helped with lineal succession. Yeah, and he he has he has three daughters. I had them all in class at Graceland. Well, except for one, yeah. At all, but one in, in Graceland. And uh, and they're good people, but none of them went went uh, for a, a, a career in church leadership. Now, one of them, the youngest one, did work as an, as an editor at Herald House for about three years after she got out of Graceland. I think Roger Yarrington, the man, managing editor at Herald House, thought, well, she might possibly be somebody that... That, that went for high, high places in the church. I don't know. But anyway, she, she spent about three years, but then she left and went, went into the secular world. I don't know what she's doing now, but working on some other job. But anyway, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, well, while he's talking, I'm thinking, this is terrible because we're just, here it is, we're, we've come to a point where there's, there's, there, there's, there's only women as successors to the president. And... You know, this will lead to... Now, I, I would have been happy if that led to women in the priesthood, of course. But still, I wouldn't... I'd rather it didn't happen that way, you know? Well, and I mean, that has been the rumor that mm -hmm. the reason why they had the 84 revelation was because Wallace only had girls. No. I asked Wallace... Well, you know, it's possible. Maybe Wallace didn't tell me the truth. But I asked Wallace about this, and he said, no. He said, uh, that's, you know, kind of something that people say but uh, but you know I want somebody we need we need somebody who is prepared for the job I mean when he when he see when he was called I think I mean when he was called they said okay he'll he'll study for two years uh, and then he'll be he'll be become the president of the church and I think that's what he told his dad you know his dad because dad his dad probably didn't think about this but Wallace said I'm just an eye doctor you know I'm not a I'm not a prophet <laughs> and so I, uh, give me at least two years to prepare for this job and so that was that was the message of the 76th conference that that W Wallace is a president uh, I started to say pro tem president pro tem no not pro tem but president uh, designate okay and uh, for two years and he'll study and then he'll uh, be president of the church two years later in, in, in 78. So that's the way it went. I'm, I'm confident. I mean, I've never been told this, but I'm confident that, that, that it, would have to, it would have had to have been Wallace's, Wally B. statement to his dad. I'd give me two years. You know, I mean, they probably negotiated for how long they should, he should have, but, but I need some time. And so, he, so two years is what he's going to have. He's president, de president designate for two years. So some character in, in, in the great, in, in British Isles in the UK uh, went to hear Wallace speak when he came and met with the, with the saints in, in, in some place in, in the UK. And he said uh, uh, that um, this one woman uh, had, had problems with her eyes. And so when they had a potluck after the service was over, she, she got down there and she got across from Wallace B because she said that, uh, uh, you know, she wanted to talk to him about her eyes. And, and it said, uh, the guy said, uh, 
uh, an eye doctor prophetess just whom she wanted she just just whom she was wanting but anyway uh so uh this guy made just made a lot of jokes about uh uh him being the new prophet me being but but not but not yet he can't have any genuine revelations yet but he can have them next year whenever that two three years <laughs> but anyway but yeah I, I think you know i really respect wallace for thinking I've got to have some time to, to like you said as a doctor you want real you want you want good 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 facts good good details um, and you don't want to just you know blow your own horn I'm just you don't want to just 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 think whatever happens to come to mind uh, and so he uh, uh, he spent two years now for unfortunately as far as I'm concerned uh, he, he, he was scheduled to have Lindsay Farrago, the New Testament professor, who I think is the most important professor I've ever had. Uh, he was scheduled to have Lindsay Farrago, but then they had him lined up to go to, go to Africa because part of his preparation was to go all around the church you know, and meet, meet people in all sorts of different uh, places. And so he, he never did have his... Have his he didn't take the classes, but these these professors came to his house and 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 uh, you know and t tutored him uh, on their subject matter, and but he never got the New Testament tutoring from Farago, which I, I think is unfortunate. Can we jump back to that Mark Hoffman story? Sure, oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So. Um, because so Mark spoke first. You oh, yeah. spoke last. Yeah. And then was it Dick Howard that was in the back of the room? Yeah, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah, Dick was uh, Dick was in, in the back of the room. And sitting, he's the RLDS church the historian. The RLDS church historian. Yeah. yeah. And he was sitting behind the three editors of Sunstone. Uh, Peggy Fletcher. Peggy Fletcher and Su Susan. Uh, what's her name? Staker. Staker. And then uh, uh, somehow I can't think of her name now. But anyway, all three of them. We're, we're, we're right in front of Dick Howard. And Dick, to his credit, was the only guy I know of, either among the LDS historians or the RLDS historians, who did not trust Mark Hoffman because he's the one that had to work with him. And right away he recognized this guy. This guy's not to be trusted. And uh, so, uh, so in, but yet he had to deal with him. And so they sent a document to some expert and the expert came back, you know. So it was authentic. It's, it was fine. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was true, which Dick had a hard time believing. So when, anyway, when Dick heard Mark ta talking, every now and then Dick would say, bullshit, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> and so these three women were just, they're, you know, laughing. they were doing yeah. the best they could to keep from laughing. <laughs> I think that that information is in a footnote in in um, the Salamander, the, the book. Salamander letter, yeah, that book. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I haven't looked it up, but I, I've heard that 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 is footnoted in that book. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, there was a book that was real popular about 15 years ago. Uh, one of the, one of the Lafferty guys was was part Under of the, the banner of heaven. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, um, so anyway, what I what I heard was that uh, uh, 
the guy that wrote the book, what was it? What John was it? Krakauer. John Krakauer, yeah. That Krakauer was granted admission to get in and talk to, and, and, and talk to uh, uh, Mark. Uh, and, uh, and so he, he went in to talk to Mark, but Mark said, well, I don't really want to talk about it, but my roommate, my cellmate here, Lafferty, He'll talk to you, and so the book ended up with, with yeah, you, yeah. Have you heard, heard that story? Yes, yeah, I have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that book was was hard to read at certain points. You know, like when he kills up, kills that little baby. You know, and oh my gosh, it was. Uh, but uh, I thought it was a good book. You know, <laughs> you. I'm sure you know Will Bagley. Yeah, uh -huh. because he referred to. Mark Hoffman and Dan Lafferty as the prophet and his, well, yeah, the Lafferty's as the prophet and his scribe, Mark Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paul Edwards, you know, he looked, he looked over a lot of this information and he said that, uh, you know, uh, Hoffman was so good at forging that he almost, well, I mean, I think maybe Paul was saying, I think he made mistakes because he got to where he 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 thought that uh, I mean he they, people were accepting his forgeries so readily that he wasn't wasn't uh, showing wasn't taking the kind of care that he really should have and that he was lucky he didn't get caught uh, you know sooner yeah yeah I wish he had been caught sooner when when that happened I heard uh, uh, Norma Hiles one of our our LDS people who wrote that book about Israel A. Smith uh, she she called me. And I mean, and somebody had, to call, had somehow she had found out, and she called me, told about me about it, and so I called Linda Newell because Linda and Jack were the editors of, of uh, Dialogue at that time. Linda Newell and Jack Newell, and they were very good friends of mine. You know, we'd been to their house; they'd been to our house several times. You know, and uh, so uh, uh, I called called her, and she said, "Well." As Linda said, well, it looks like it was a, a, a financial thing. You know, so she was buying the original theory, theory that he just, he, he had just uh, killed uh, Sheets. Was that yeah. his name? Yeah. Kathy, well, it was uh, Steve Christensen and Kathy Sheets. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, this, this uh, second murder of Kathy Sheets. It he was thought, intended for her husband, yeah. Gary Sheets. Yeah, and, and so I said, Linda thought it was just some kind of some kind of dispute over fun over money, you know, between the two people who used to be partners, and because uh, I I said I, I I think you and Jack ought to get the hell out of town right away uh, because who knows who's going to be next who, who, who's next on uh, on his list, and but she she poo pooed that, uh, and then you know the next day of course uh, he kill almost kills himself, <laughs> and then has to has to uh, deal with the legal process. Yeah, the thing the thing that's, that's funny about it is that uh, she, uh, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> yeah, he, he well, well, Linda uh, felt, felt so irritated about him that at one time he, he, he fell deathly ill. I can't remember what happened. But they had to really rushed him into Salt Lake City to the hospital. In prison? Is that what you're from talking prison, about? From prison to the hospital? Yeah, it was a suicide attempt. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, no. he had he'd swallowed a bunch of sleeping pills. Oh, yeah. And Linda was saying, why didn't they just let him die? 
Why didn't they just let that SOB die? <laughs> and, you know, you can, you can kind of understand because, you know, she had a bunch of junk in her book that she got from, from his forgeries, you know. Uh, so her, Are you talking about the uh, Emma Smith book that yeah. she wrote? Yeah. But, the, but then she did get a chance to do the second edition, which uh, cleaned it up quite a bit. Uh, the guy who seemed to be believing Mark the longest was uh, Walker. Uh, Ron Walker? Ron Walker, yeah. He came to speak at Graceland after we pretty well had come to believe that it was a forgery. And he still still he still saw it as as a legitimate thing <laughs> so I don't know why he he stuck with it longer than anybody else but, yeah <laughs> well but cool I, well I know it's getting late just one more thing about about it when when uh, when I came my turn to speak you know that at the at that uh, session <clears throat> here's Paul Edwards he's real popular with a lot of the people and he's he's he's, he's uh, and he's and he's a direct senator Joseph Smith, and so I said, uh, uh, "Would you want Paul Edwards to be president of your church?" <laughs> and during the course of the week, there were probably three or four women that came up to me and said, "Yeah, we'd be happy to have <laughs> Paul Edwards, I mean, president of, of our church." <laughs> he was always. It seemed like he had a, he had a special appeal to the women. And at Graceland, there'd often be two or three women waiting outside the door to his office to go in and talk to him. He was, he was a, a kind of a father figure and a kind of a, you know, he, he, he ministered to them in, in, uh, in uh, his own way. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a lot of, it was very enjoyable. Yes, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it, Bill Russell. So, Really appreciate you being here on Gospel Tales. I, I thought you're probably going to just hit, hit me with all my all my all my heresies, you know. <laughs> but you you already know a lot of that. So. <laughs> all right, thanks. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bill Russell from Graceland University. Bill, thank you so much for sitting down and for your wonderful hospitality there in Lamoni, Iowa. It was fun sitting down and, and talking to you. So always enjoy talking to Bill Russell. In our next conversation, we're going to stay around in Lamona, Iowa. I've got Dr. Jesse James. Now, he teaches at Graceland University also, but he's LDS. We're going to talk about the differences between the Community of Christ version of BYU and the real BYU. For instance, um, uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage is not, uh, is not a frowned upon thing as far as I'm aware. Like, What's important is that when you have sex, that you're doing it in uh, committed relationships, that it's consensual, things like that. So there's not even like an honor code on campus that prevents students from having sexual relationships with each, with each other before they're married. If you like what we're doing at Gospel Tangents, please support us. Go to gospeltangents.com and you can get full interviews as well as transcripts if you'd like those. So click here to subscribe and over here you can see some of our other great videos. Thanks again.